their children be his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children sorrows deep I call when my hope is shaken torn and ruined from the fall hear my desperation for so long I've pled and prayed God come 
to my rescue Even so the thorn remains Still my heart will praise Him Troubled soul, questions without answers. On my faith, these billows roll. God be now my shelter. Why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in Him who saves you. When the fires of all this heart to praise
Christ 
morning everybody hey as we are getting started this morning we are actually going to do a little bit of a prelude we're going to do a song before the call to worship just so it can help us focus our minds and hearts and attention on Jesus Christ and uh, his work for us his work in us um, really excited we have Jeff Mills from Parkside Bainbridge preaching for us this morning and I was talking with him on the phone a couple of times earlier this week asking what kind of music he thought might be best and he said Ryan it's all about Jesus so uh, this morning we're going to start with a song all about Jesus, and then after this I'll ask you to stand for the call to worship. But by all means, if you know this song, it's a good song, it's a classic song. If you know it, please sing along boldly. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. No, not one, none else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. No friend like him is so high and holy. No, not one. No, not one. And yet no friend is so meek and lowly. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows. 
sing for us for this morning's call to worship. This morning's call to worship is from Psalm 51. It's Psalms 51, verses 10 through 12 and verses 15 through 17. Let's reflect on this together as I read it aloud and we get started. about while we sing them would be pleasing to you, that they would glorify you, that they would be a sweet sound to your ears. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord who o'er all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires have been granted in what he ordained? Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he Breath come now with praise. 
There is One Gospel. It's by City of Light, and it just released only a couple of weeks ago, so it's brand new for all of us, and I'm really excited to teach it. The words are so good and so edifying, and uh, since we're going to sing it again at the end of the service, and I think that it's a a pretty easy song to pick up, the melody is really, uh, I think, singable, we're just going to play it together, and as you catch on to singing it, please sing aloud and sing boldly. It's a great song, so let's sing this together. We do not walk alone. 
We have His Spirit as we press on to lead us safely home. And when in glory still I will sing of this old story that rescued me. Praise to my Savior, the King of life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when in glory still I will sing of this old story that rescued me. Praise to my Savior, the King of life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise to my Savior, the King of life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. My name is Adam Romans. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and it's a privilege to welcome you all. And uh, I, uh, we were on vacation. My family and I were on vacation uh, for the past eight days, and it was good to get back on Friday. And it's uh, equally good to be with you uh, this week. It was uh, a pleasure, for most part, uh, to join you uh, online as Ryan attempted to make a joke at the beginning of service last week. That was not funny. Yeah, it was not funny. Leave the jokes to me, sir. Um, anyway, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. If you're visiting with us for the very first time, we have this About Parkside Green uh, kind of bingo card uh, that you could pull out and, and start to figure out who is who and uh, you know who we are, our staff, and our ministry partners. And uh, if this is a, a, of advantage to you, please take it and uh, use it. And if you have any questions about it, there's a welcome table out in the foyer on the left. Uh, we'd love to answer any questions uh, that you have, but uh, we're thrilled that everyone's here. Uh, a quick announcement that next Sunday evening at 6 p.m., uh, we'll host a worship night in the foyer. And uh, during the worship night, we'll uh, spend special time in prayer for students, teachers, school staff, parents, uh, and the youth of our church. So I do hope you'll join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. in the foyer. Uh, this morning, we want to extend a warm welcome to the Malone women's basketball team who is here with us. Uh, they will be traveling on a mission trip to Puerto Rico to play basketball and then uh, to, to minister to the local community through SCORE International. And uh, they're on my right, and we welcome them. And uh, we'll look forward to having lunch with them following the service. Also this morning, we have uh, with us um, uh, Jeff Mills as the, the one who will come and preach for us here in a few moments. He is the director of ministries up at, up at Parkside Bainbridge. And uh, many of you know uh, how I feel about Jeff, uh, that he is a friend and a mentor. And uh, it's such a joy to be with him this morning. And uh, I remember as a young man being challenged to always have a, a Paul-like, an Apostle Paul-like figure uh, in your life. And um, I certainly feel that way about uh, Jeff. I will never be his Timothy, but he'll always be my Paul. And I'm so thankful for him, and we welcome him. And uh, we're glad that he's here. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, which can be found on page 43 in the Blue Pew Bible. Uh, Pastor Jeff has asked me to read for him his text this morning as um, 
Uh, he'll be preaching this incredible text from Genesis chapter 50, page 43. Uh, we'll pick up the story of Jacob's burial in verse 14 of chapter 50, and then we'll read to the end. After he had buried his father, that is to say Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. <clears throat> and now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And, when Joseph, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children uh, of the third generation, the children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we now have and that we've already enjoyed in singing together about uh, the goodness and the glory of God, of singing about how we are uh, standing united in one gospel, that we have one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one baptism, uh, there's one Lord. And we recognize that none of us uh, by nature deserve to be a part of of the gospel, that we don't belong uh, by nature to uh, you and to your son. But because of Jesus, because of his life, because of his death and his resurrection, we can belong to you today and forevermore. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus, which saves us, but also enables us to live life to the fullest here and now. Lord, thank you for forgiveness that is found only in Jesus and in his cross. I pray today if there's someone who does not know this Christ, that they would be drawn to him by the power of your Holy Spirit to believe in him, to give their lives to him. And Lord, if there are some who are really hurting this morning, I pray that as they hear this message from Genesis 50, as they hear their brothers and sisters in Christ singing these songs, I pray that the gospel would, would heal the hurt. And Lord, if there are any here this morning who are doubting or questioning this thing called the gospel and faith, I pray that your spirit would convince them of the truthfulness of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our need for faith and repentance. Lord, we think about this, uh, uh, these young ladies and their coaches who will be uh, going off to 
uh, Puerto Rico to play basketball and to minister to the community. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would go before them, that you would uh, protect them, and Lord, we pray that you would use them, uh, to use them to help people. And uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of basketball. So many of us enjoy it, and it's amazing to see the doors that are open through it. Uh, we pray for uh, the coach and, and the players, that they would uh, again, just be protected, but used mightily by you. And Lord, use these events to draw all of them closer to you. Lord, we thank you for uh, Pastor Jeff Mills, his life, his ministry. Lord, we thank you for his reach that is not only in Bainbridge, but his friendship is felt all across uh, the world by so many. I thank you that he is the embodiment of, of biblical friendship. I thank you, Lord, for not only the work that he'll do publicly, but for the work that he does privately. Lord, I pray for him and Terry that you would continue to use them as a, as a husband and wife to help many other people in their world. Lord, we pray as we come to Genesis chapter 50 this morning that you will uh, open our eyes and soften our hearts. May the Spirit uh, speak to us through your word. Lord, we uh, thank you for all of our time together. We thank you for the opportunity to continue to sing now. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be drawn to you and that we would worship you in spirit and truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on him are radiant, they'll never be ashamed, they'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard me and saved me from my enemies. The Son of God surrounds His saints. He will deliver them. He will deliver them. Magnify. Exalt his name together, glorify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who hides in him. Oh, fear the Lord. Oh, all your saints, he'll give you everything. He'll give you everything. Come on, magnify. Magnify the Lord. Exalt His name together, glorify. 
said my name is Jeff and uh, it's everybody says this but it actually is true for me it's a undeserved privilege to be here this morning I got acquainted with your church back in 2007 when two young men showed up in my office I just gotten back from North India with my wife I told her I was a second honeymoon and uh, and they were in my office and hi I'm Adam I'm Jonathan okay and uh, we're from uh, Harvest down in Green, and uh, we don't want a makeover, we want a takeover. I go, what the dickens is this, you know? Anyhow, and the rest is history. And uh, what God has done in this place is not surprising because we began praying that day in November of 2007. But it's amazing because only God could do what God has done here at now called Parkside Green. And even if you're new to here or you've been here for many years, the songs proclaim Christ. The prayers proclaim Christ. This place is a gospel place. And what a privilege you have, I have, to be here this morning, to hear the gospel afresh this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you don't have one, I think they're in the pew, uh, to... Genesis 50, we're going to look at the last 12 verses, starting in verse 15. But before we begin, please pray with me. Loving Father, Sovereign Father, Faithful Father, we praise you and thank you for the truth of your word that we've been singing and that we read in your word. Please continue to use our time of worship to encourage and build up everyone here who knows you and mobilize us all to be your disciples and to go and make disciples by our lives and by our lips to the people around us and to the ends of the earth by our prayers and by our giving and by our going. We also ask that you would open the eyes, the minds, the hearts of everyone here who is yet to understand the gospel and have not yet trusted in Christ and who Jesus is and what he's done for them and that they would trust in Christ today. And lastly, Father, Father, 
Guard me, guide me. To say only what your word says, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And we ask this in Jesus' strong name and for his glory. Amen. I want to begin thinking with you about, I'm not going to read it, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus made several radical statements. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Few statements are more radical or more counterintuitive than loving your enemies, than doing good to those who hate you, than blessing those who curse you and praying for those who abuse you. Even as I say that, and as you listen and I speak it, and we listen together, it sounds crazy. It sounds irrational. But that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for sinners on the cross. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of the cross. It's the gospel. And it's the way for every follower of Christ, every believer, and I call that every truster in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to call our study this morning Perspective. And I want you to think this morning as we begin, what is your perspective? What is your perspective? And when I use that word perspective for those that are a little younger, what I mean is this, perspective is the way you see something, it's the way you think about something. And this morning I want you to think about what is your perspective? And there's two perspectives about the gospel. There's two perspectives about Jesus Christ, about the cross. There's man's perspective, which I'll call horizontal, human perspective. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the cross is folly. It's foolishness. It's irrelevant. It's not important. It's insane. But God's perspective is the cross, Paul goes on to say, is the wisdom of God, is the power of God for all who believe. Paul's saying it's the most important thing, the exact opposite of what the world and what human perspective would be. And until God opens our blind eyes, and I say our because every one of us were blind before God opened our eyes to see who Christ was and what he's had done for us and who we are and our need of a Savior. Without Christ opening our eyes, we cannot see Christ. We cannot have God's perspective. We're limited to man's perspective. But saved sinners, trusters, can see God in ourselves and everything else progressively more clearly. We can progressively have God's perspective, a vertical perspective. Progressively see, progressively think the way God sees and thinks, which is the ultimate reality. When someone first understands the gospel and begins to trust in Christ, and that means trusting in who Jesus is, the God-man, and what he's done, died on the cross for our sin, he took our place, took our punishment, and gave us his righteousness. When that happens, we begin a new life in Christ. 
We begin true life as God designed it, and you desire it, and I desire it. And as we do, the Bible tells us in John 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, you're born again. You have a spiritual birth. You come alive spiritually, just like you did when you came out of your mother's womb, and we all did. We came alive physically. When you're born again, when you trust in Christ, you become alive spiritually. And as we're thinking about perspective, a painful illustration of the different perspectives in this world, we see with a recent decision by the Supreme Court on abortion. God's perspective is he made us, and it's his choice to give life and to take life. Man's perspective is, no, 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 no. It's my choice to give and take life. And we see the same thing on all the issues, human sexuality. I know better. The creature, the ant, knows better than the creator. So we think. And in Genesis 50 today, in the 12 verses we're going to look at, it's the end of a very long story that began back in chapter 37. And it's about Joseph and his family, Jacob's family. It's a good recap of the entire story, which is why I thought it best to use it this morning. And I'm going to give you just a few bullet points to bring you up to chapter 50. Back in chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years old, like some of you here this morning. He was his father's favorite. Bad news, Jacob, his father, showed favoritism. That's sin. And because of that, his 10 older brothers hated Joseph. And they sold him into slavery. Now, their sin was not caused but revealed by Jacob. But sin infects the people around us, in our family, wherever we have influence. So Joseph is sold as a slave. He goes to Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar, who's probably the leading general in Pharaoh's army. But God gives Joseph favor with Potiphar. It says in chapter 39, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. And Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Things are going better. And that happened for the next 10 years. But the next thing that happened, Joseph says in verse 39, he was handsome in form and in appearance. Today's language, Joseph was a hunk, okay? He would have been on People's Magazine, man of the year, you know? Sexiest man, you know? And we don't know anything about Potiphar's wife, but knowing the culture, she probably was a trophy wife. And understandable, sinful, but understandable, she took notice and tries to seduce Joseph. It says, day after day. And then one day, it climaxes when she attacks him again, keeps his cloak, he takes off, we won't get into the details, but she lies and said, Joseph tried to seduce me. And Joseph gets thrown in prison for two years. But in prison, God enables Joseph to interpret accurately two dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials who were in jail with him. And the key is God enabled him to interpret. And the cupbearer who was then restored promises, I'll remember you to Pharaoh when I get out. But he forgot Joseph. Two years later, 
Pharaoh has two dreams. And now the cupbearer remembers, oh, I know someone that God uses to interpret dreams. Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph, God enables, get key, God enables Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams accurately. And Pharaoh promotes him to be second in charge of the kingdom. To basically lead the kingdom through these seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, which the dreams had foretold. Seven years, plenty goes by, seven years of famine. Jacob's family back in the promised land in Canaan, out of food. Jacob sends his 10 brothers that hated Joseph to Egypt. They come before Joseph unknowingly, twice. And ultimately, Joseph discloses who he is and invites and has his family, Jacob, his brothers, and all their family, 70 and all, come to live in Egypt. And they did that for 17 years. Joseph was restored to his father and his family for the 17 years before Jacob died at the age of 147. And all that brings us to where we're at today. And Adam read verse 14, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers. And that's where we're starting from in verse 15. In these 12 verses, we're going to see the truth that Paul talked about in Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not for everybody, for those who love God, for those who have trusted in Christ, for those who are following Christ. And for good is God's glory. That's our purpose as saved sinners. And our good, which means our progressive transformation in the likeness of Christ so we can be more useful, which is why he saved us. Trusting in God's promises and power and presence in Christ will give believers God's perspective progressively, which will progressively become every believer's perspective. Every believer in this room can progressively have God's perspective because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent upon God, the Spirit that came to live within us. Well, in Genesis 50, these 12 verses, our title, our focus is going to be perspective. And I want you to think about again, what is your perspective? I don't care if you're 7 or you're 70. You all have a perspective. I have a perspective. We'll look at it in three parts. The brother's perspective about Joseph, fear, Joseph's perspective about life and everything. And lastly, Joseph's perspective about death. First, the brother's perspective about Joseph. So in verse 15, I won't read it again, but it says, Jacob, who's Joseph's father, has died. That happened at the end of chapter 49. Joseph and his brothers, as he asked, took him back to Canaan and buried him. Now they just returned back. And apparently the brothers... Hit the panic button. Dad's gone. What's Joseph going to do? So they make up this story, apparently. Oh, Dad told us before he died, be nice to us. And they sent him a message to that effect. And he actually says, please forgive the sin of your brothers, the evil they did against you. Because that came up back in earlier chapters, but they were kind of, you know, muting it. It wasn't sin. It was, well, misunderstanding. We didn't understand. I mean, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, please forgive me. But hold on a second. 
Joseph already forgiven him back in chapter 45. He said, told his brothers, you sold me here. Here's those words. But God sent me here to preserve life. That's perspective. That's God's perspective. Now, why were they afraid? Because they didn't trust Joseph's words. He had provided for them for 17 years and their families. They didn't trust who he, what he said. They didn't trust what he had done. All that Joseph had done for his brothers and their families to provide for, for all these years, they still didn't trust him. And I'm going to ask you, do you see Jesus here? Why ask that purposely? Because all the Bible is about Jesus here in Genesis 50, in the Psalms, in the prophets. Yes, even in Leviticus. And we have, have God help us see him and hear his voice understand what he's saying and trust it. And do you see Jesus? Just as the brothers didn't trust Joseph's words and all that Joseph done, you and I in this room today and in this world, too often we don't trust Jesus' words and all that Jesus has done for us. How do I know that? Because we get anxious. We get worried. We get fearful. And when we believers feel hopeless, afraid, anxious, worried, alone, defeated, fearful, like a failure, which we all do at times, we need to trust Jesus' promises, his presence, his power, more than what we feel. And don't be afraid. Jesus told us that in Matthew 28. I am with you always, which is a fulfillment of what Joshua said in Joshua 1. Wait, God said to Joshua, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But you've got to trust that you can't feel it. And believers can. And Joseph did. Not perfectly, but increasingly. And we've got to stop trusting in who we are and what we do. That's religion. Hinduism, Shintoism, Islam, cultural Christianity, Judaism. It's all doing for God to earn, achieve our salvation. The gospel is the only unique message. It's not about what we do and what we get, meritocracy. It's about what God has done for us. In spite of who we are. It's amazing. And thinking about fear, think about Jesus in Matthew 8. The disciples run to see a galley and Jesus is asleep. A storm comes up and they go, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. And he calms the storm. Don't be afraid, I'm with you always. Save us, O Lord, we're perishing. Oh, you little faith. And a couple chapters later, in chapter 14, they're on the Sea of Galilee again, this time without Jesus. A storm comes up again. Oh, they learn this time. And Jesus comes walking in the water. And what are they? They're afraid again. And Jesus says, It's I. Don't be afraid. And it culminates in Matthew 28 at the ascension. He says, I will be with you, every believer, forever. But you've got to learn to trust that, and so do I. We all do, more and more. And we all do trust Him if you become the faith. But Lord, help us to trust you more. You see, what we naturally think and feel 
and can see with our eyes will frequently collide with God's truth, with God's word and all his promises. And when they do, when they will, we must learn to turn from our feelings and to turn and trust in God's word. It's a decision. It's a choice. And that's what the Bible calls us. The first moment you believed in Christ, if you have, you had to admit your sin and turn from your sin and turn and trust in Christ. And that's the first moment you believe. And that's why it's the pattern for the rest of your life, dying and rising. Christ died for our sins so we can die to our sin. Unbelievers can't, they're enslaved. But we can and we must. And rise to righteousness. To turn from our sin and turn to Christ. True believers are trusters. That's the word I've been using. And whatever we are trusting will transform us into the likeness of wherever we trust. We know back in Genesis, God made us in God's, in God's image. And he made us to worship. He made us to love. And he made us to trust. And everyone in this world has a faith. Everyone's worshiping something, loving something the most, and trusting something the most. Because that's how we're made. But when you trust something other than Christ, it doesn't make you like God, it makes you like Satan. And you either have unsaving faith in something other than Christ or saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to make a mention, I don't have time to talk about this, I forgot to push the clock at him, but we'll keep going. In verse 17 it says, Joseph wept. When his brother spoke to him, he didn't weep for himself. He wept for them. This is the seventh time in these chapters that Joseph wept, at least that's recorded. And again, do you see Jesus here? When he gets to Jerusalem, what does it say that Jesus did? He wept over Jerusalem. Not for himself that he was going to the cross. He wept because he saw they had turned Judaism, the Old Testament, into doing for God instead of trusting in God's promise of what he's done for them. And it made him weep. And I'll tell you, we should weep for our world, for our friends who have yet to believe. It's right to weep. The ten brothers had a man's perspective, a horizontal perspective, but they needed, as all of us do, to have a progressively God perspective, a divine perspective, a vertical perspective. And they needed reassurance from Joseph. And we need insurance from Jesus. How do you get reassurance every day? You need it every day, all day long, by listening to him speak through his word. You don't read the word to get a brownie point to achieve. You read the Bible to hear, to see him, because it motivates us. He lo we love him because he loved us first. The gospel is a We are responding to God and what he's done. In religion, God is responding to us. And we need to daily, continually be reinforced for the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Whether you're reading in the Psalms or Genesis or in the epistles or the gospels. In verse... 
These next set of verses. So that's the brother's perspective. They had man's perspective. They were afraid. Now we're going to see Joseph's perspective about life in verse 19 to 21. Notice in 19, Joseph reassures his brothers, don't fear. And he says that again in 21, don't fear. Do you see Jesus? We just read that. That's what Jesus tells you and tells me, don't fear, I'm with you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I love you, I've died for you, I'll care for you. I'll cause all things for good, trust me. And again, it points us forward to Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate Joseph that all the Bible points to. He's the ultimate Joseph, he's the ultimate Joshua, he's the ultimate David, the fulfillment of David, the king. And these three sentences give us three essential gospel truths that Joseph was learning to trust and every believer must learn to trust. First, verse 19, don't take God's place. 20, take God's perspective. And 21, follow God's plan. That's Joseph's perspective. Well, number one, verse 19, don't take God's place. He says, don't fear. Am I in the place of God? He didn't have all the New Testament, but he knew from trusting God that he couldn't judge because he's not capable of judging, and neither are you. That's why Jesus said, don't judge lest you'll be judged. No, 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 we don't want to judge. We want a merciful Father. And when we judge, we've forgotten that we needed a merciful Father and that Jesus took our place. Taking God's place is the heart of the human problem. It's the problem of our hearts that began back in Genesis 3. What did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Yeah, but she forgot. She was distracted. She forgot what God said. <laughs> Let's not be critical for her. Let's look at us today. Did God really say don't worship other gods? Did God really say don't make idols? Did God really say don't murder? Jesus helps us with that a little, brings it to the bottom shelf. Don't get angry. Don't sin. Don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't commit adultery. Let's bring it down a little bit. Don't lust in your heart. Don't covet. But be content in Christ. The only place you can be content. Jesus told his disciples and us that we're to deny ourselves all day long. Turn away from self, which is our natural default. To take up our cross, I love it in Luke, it says daily. We could add to that, hourly, continually. What does it mean to take up your cross? To die to sin. Christ died for our sin, so we can die to our sin. But we have to make every effort. We don't contribute but we participate by making effort to turn away from our sin, to die, and turn to Christ, to rise in righteousness. When we don't love our enemies, when we don't do good to those who hate us, we don't bless those who curse us, we don't pray for those who abuse us, guess what? We're taking God's place. We're following our opinions our desires. We think we know better. And we're saying, not your kingdom come, my kingdom come. Not your will be done, Lord, my will be done. 
and when we take God's place, we're trusting in what we think and not what God thinks. And it will transform us, not into likeness to Christ, godliness, but in likeness to Satan. Secondly, in taking God's place, well, we look to people for all of our answers, for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. We're allowing them to take God's place. We're allowing them to be God in our life. And that'll make us more ungodly, more like Satan. And conversely, when people come to us and real danger in pastoral ministry, oh, we got the answers. No, we don't. We got to point them to Christ, and so do you. Christ has all the answers. And, oh, let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you what to do. No, don't do what I'm saying. Do what God's Word says. Because when we try to take on the role of the Holy Spirit, we put ourselves in God's place. So, truth number one, don't take God's place. Truth number two, take God's perspective. Verse 20 says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man's perspective, oh, poor Joseph, man, his brother sold them. Potiphar's wife lied, the cupbearer forgot him. Oh, what a victim. Man's perspective. God's perspective, what a victor. God was using it to transform Joseph. God allowed it, God overruled it, and God used it. And that's what we trust when it cuts against our will, when it cuts against what we want. We trust God knows best. And Joseph was proclaiming the gospel to his brothers right here. Not just by his lips, but by his life. He had lived this. And so must we, and so can we. And I want to ask you again, do you see Jesus? Jesus speaks to believers from God's word by his spirit. But we need to daily read it, not just check it off your list. you got to think about it. Ruminate on it. I love that word. Chew it like cud of a cow. I like to write verses out every day. Not all of them. I'm a little impetuous, compulsive. But a couple of them. Because it writes it. And when I write it out, guess what? I get new insight that I didn't have from just reading it. So write it out. Pray it. And then share it. Adam mentioned this. Adam is a biblical friend. He's a battle buddy since 2007. He is my Timothy. I love Adam Romans. And what do we do? We think truth together when we talk often. We talk truth together. We trust truth together. And as we do together, it's mutual discipleship. I'm not mentoring him. He's not mentoring me. We're mentoring each other. God's mentoring us through our biblical friendship. And you need biblical friends. You need battle buddies. That's why the, when you're in a, I never was in a service, but I was in a service. They, I hear they have battle buddies, you know. Your buddy gets hurt. You risk your life to get him off the field. And that's what we're doing. And not a temporal skirmish in the Middle East or Korea or Ukraine, but in the ultimate skirmish with sin. Well, we're playing for keeps. All believers can and must learn to trust God just like Joseph was doing and the disciples were doing. Don't be critical of them being afraid in the boat. I don't believe he was resurrected unless I see his hands and his feet. Thomas, don't be critical. That's just like us. 
But as we do, we'll become more like Christ and become more useful to Christ. And there's an equal opportunity to do that. And we can only do that in these two words, in Christ. You read that throughout the epistles, in Christ. What does that mean? See it in Romans 15. See it in 1 Peter 4. It means by his power perfectly. Not my power, God's power. It's in his way, consistent with God's word, biblically. And it's for his glory, not mine. Humbly. And I got to repent because I naturally will go on my own energy and so will you. I'll naturally go by my own logic and so will you, but I can repent, we can repent. And I naturally do everything for my glory, but I can repent and die and rise and I must. And so must you because you're just like me. You're different but the same. So truth number one, don't take God's place. Number two, take God's perspective. And number three, follow God's plan. That's in the next verse. Verse 21, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus Joseph comforted and spoke kindly to his brothers who had hated him, who were his enemies. And what was he doing? He was following the way of Christ, the way of the cross. He was following in Jesus' steps. Joseph was following God's plan to love his enemies. What does love mean? He's got to unpack that. It means to self-sacrifice. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. How was he feeling? Terrible. It says it was an agony. But he prayed more earnestly. Doesn't mean you feel like affection right away. You self-sacrifice for your enemies. You do good. What does that mean? You give them what they don't deserve. You bless them. You desire their, their good. And you pray for them that God would save them or sanctify them and protect them and utilize them more than yourself. And the following Jesus' step is following God's plan. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, he says, to this you were called. What is that? To this. To suffer for doing good. That's what Jesus did ultimately. The ultimate good, the ultimate suffering. And we follow one of the steps. We're going to suffer for doing good. And he says he did that so that you and I, believers, trust us, can follow in his steps. Jesus' steps. Have you trusted in who Jesus is and what he's done for you? Have you been born again? Do you have new life? Are you trusting in Jesus' word, the Bible, more than your feelings and logic and what you can see? Are you daily learning to trust Christ and following his steps? Because as we do, it will make us more like Jesus, which will make us more useful, which is going to give us the meaning, purpose, and fulfillment we desire. Because that's how we were designed. So Joseph's perspective about life needs to become ours. And we need to God, ask God to tell us, Lord, help me see where I'm taking your place. Help me to take your perspective and help me to follow your plan. Help me to follow Christ. And it takes us from the brother's perspective to Joseph's perspective. Oh boy, we're gonna get going here. Joseph's perspective about death. The last point, I don't know where we're at time-wise, but we're gonna land the plane here. 22 to 26. Couple quick statements. 22 to 23. We learn Joseph lived 93 years in Egypt. He was sold, we know, we said earlier, at 17. He's now going to be 110. He was separated from his family for 20 plus years, 
But he was with the eternal family. He was with God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God reunited him with his earthly family, with his father for 17 years before he died at the age of 147. Joseph knew in 24 to 25 he was going to die. And we all need to know that. Young people, you're going to die. I don't have the statistic. I should have looked it up, but I forgot. I read it a million years ago. 2,500 people will die in this country every day unexpectedly. They woke up. Everything's great. We had that. We were on vacation, too. And I haven't left the airport yet. I get a call Sunday morning. And this family was in a car accident coming back to Cleveland and went into eternity immediately. They died. You go, whoa. Last Friday, our niece down in Columbus, niece-in-law, goes in on previous Friday, feeling good, had a little bit of a blemish on her breast, she, but she's breastfeeding, 10-month-old baby, no big deal. She's got four-stage breast cancer that metastasized to her liver and to her kidneys. And she's in a coma right now this morning, Kate. She's 32 years old with two young children, 10 months and two and a half years. We're all going to die. People under five are going to die today. People from six to 15 are going to die today, unexpectedly. And the question, are you ready to die? Because you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. David, I'm sorry, David, Chief, where did I get that from? Joseph was ready to die. Because he was trusting in God's promise. And we have so much more. We got the whole thing. He was trusting the promise of Messiah. We've seen the Messiah. We know the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus. The woman at the well knew that. Come and hear a man that told me everything I ever have done. We have it all. And he was trusting what he said. Carry my bones to the promised land. Why? Because he was trusting in God's promise of the promised land, which isn't about dirt in Israel. It's about an eternal promised land. It's about heaven. We're all going to die and we're all going to go somewhere and we want to go to be with Christ to heaven. And I don't know what heaven's like. The Bible tells us some things. I don't know. It doesn't say a lot. So we don't need to know a lot. But it's not about a place. It's about a person. You begin a relationship now and you want to be with him forever. I love to go home at night. It's not because we have a great house. We don't. It's because of a person. It's because of my wife. And that's just a little appetite for going to heaven is going to be with Jesus completely, fully, forever. He was looking forward to that, though we only saw the shadow. We have it all laid out for us. Joseph, like all believers, was learning to progressively trust God's promises to his last breath. There's a digression. One minute. Sorry, Adam. I spoke in an arts ministry reunion. Before I was a pastor here, I was a partner in an accounting firm for 20 plus years. I speak at reunions. I didn't want to do it. They asked me to do it. I did it. And I gave them, you got to have a strategic plan for your life. These guys were all successful, guys and gals, money, everything. And they got everything. If they don't have Christ, they got nothing. I said, we're all going to die. Last year when I was here, Clem Ibel was here, CFO at a firm. You know where he's at now? I don't know, but he's not here. You know why? Because he died. 
Bob Heafton, one of my best friends, head of our auto practice, is not here. You know why? Because Bob died. And you're all going to die. I'm going to die. And do you have a plan? Now, you've got a plan. You're smart people. But is your plan going to provide at the most strategic time of your life is when you die? And if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. You can't live. You're going to live in fear of death. And the guy that spoke the next morning, head of KPMG, stood up. He was next to me in the back row of the amphitheater here. And he leaned over me and I got done that. And then he goes, Jeff, I don't have a strategic plan. I need a plan. I gave him a Bible, a New Testament. And we talked that whole night in the bar. He stood up the next morning and talked about he was on the only successful water landing in aviation history on the Hudson River. And conversely, he spoke about his older brother, his hero, was a fireman in New York City and led the charge up the Twin Towers and was incinerated. And what he said was profound. He said, I work very hard not to have deep thoughts. What honesty. I hope he came to Christ. I want you to come to Christ. If you come to Christ, I want you to grow. But I want to say one more time, do you see Jesus? Because all the Bible is about Jesus. It's a book about Jesus. He's in the Old Testament, but concealed, but present. He's clearly proclaimed in the New Testament and revealed there for everybody to see. And Joseph's life's a picture of the ultimate Joseph, Jesus. Joseph suffered, but the Lord Jesus, the ultimate Joseph, suffered so much more than any of us ever will. No matter what you're going through, and we're all going through something, he understands, he made you. And he suffered a million times more for you. Joseph was delivered by God from death because Joseph's brother tried to kill Joseph. But Jesus' brothers, the Jews, did kill Jesus. Joseph was delivered by God from death to save Israel, a temporary salvation from starvation. But Jesus was delivered by God through death for eternal salvation for all who would believe, but only for those who would believe. Joseph forgave his brothers who hated him. But Jesus forgives all who would trust in him. I want to end where we began. What is your perspective? If you're a believer, you can progressively have God's perspective for your life by daily learning to listen and ask God to help you understand and trust his word. And as you do, it will transform your life to have God's perspective and to make you more like Jesus. And if you heard this morning, this doesn't even make sense to you. We're glad you're here. Don't rest tonight. Ask God to open your mind to understand what the heck this guy's talking about, what these people are singing about and what they're who they're talking to. And he will. He did that for me. And he's done that for every believer in this place. In Christ. And only in Christ. By trusting in who Jesus is and not us. What Jesus has done and not what we've done. And when we do, it will give us God's perspective. Progressively. Now and perfectly when we get promoted when Christ comes back, and he is coming back. Let's pray. Oh, 
Faithful Father, we thank you for your word and for how Joseph's faith and his life is a picture that proclaims to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate Joseph. Help us all to progressively trust the truths that we've been thinking about this morning in your word. Help us to remember at least one thing. Everybody here, enable us by your power to turn from our fear and trust Jesus' promise, his presence and power and not take God's place, but do take God's perspective and follow God's plan in Christ. Protect all of us, especially me, from hearing God's word this morning and choosing not to trust who Jesus is and what he's done. Help us to all understand we're trusting in someone or something. And whatever we trust will progressively transform us into likeness of what we're trusting, what we're worshiping, and what we're loving the most. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing about Jesus. Gospel, oh, what a peace, my highest joy and my deepest need. Now and forever, He is my light. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
this gospel the church is one we do not walk alone we have his spirit as we press on to lead us safely home and when in glory still i will sing of this old story that rescued me praise to my savior the king of life i stand in the gospel of jesus christ and when in glory still i will sing of this old story that rescued me praise to my savior the king of life i stand in the gospel of jesus christ praise to my savior the king of life I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. of the benediction. This is from Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, 9 through 12. Let love be genuine, before what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Go in peace.
took on flesh to save the lost grace and mercy displayed upon the cross our redemption he's the hope for all mankind one name over everything one name Oh, we live for you. 